0: Hey, let's pray together one more time. Father, we come um, with grateful hearts, and we come uh, to draw near to you. We want to live out the words that were just read of Romans one, or excuse me, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, that we uh, might offer ourselves fully to you as an act of worship, and that, that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we pray that you by your word and by your spirit, would change the way we think, would change the way we view ourselves, change the way we view you. Would you uh, shape us and sanctify us with the truth of your word? Uh, So we give you this time, Lord. Pray you'd use it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. Good morning. It's uh, so good to be with you. I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We just heard it read aloud. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you are with us. And let me tell you, we got like a sermon and a half this morning, people. So we we are gonna fly. We got a lot to cover. Uh, we're in week five of our Love Your Church sermon series, where we're looking at what does it mean to be the church. What are the the joys and the privileges and the responsibilities of being part of uh, the local church? So we're walking. Through through that, and you're gonna of course continue that conversation in your community groups this week. Hope that you've been enjoying uh, the process. But this morning together, I want us to consider simply one question. And the question is this: When is the church at its best? That's the question. When is the church at its best? Is the church at its best? When its ministries are fully funded and the budget is met each year, you might think that sounds silly, but again, if you're a finance person or concerned about budgets, budgets are pretty important. So is the church at its best then? I would say no, I don't think that's bad, but when people are giving and generous, it's great, but that's not necessarily when the church is at its best, when it's fully resourced. Well, then, is the church at its best when it has a great reputation in town? It's influential in the community. Uh, the pastors and leaders there are well known. I don't think that's a bad thing, but I would say no, that's not necessarily when the church is at its best. Is the, is the church at its best when the room is full and there's just a buzz in the air each morning on Sunday? Is the, room, or excuse me, the church at its best when a, uh, the preacher is on fire? The preacher is delivering an engaging sermon that's gospel-centered and clear and clearly coming up out of the pages of Scripture and it's riveting and there's just the slightest touch of humor to, to round it all out. Is that when the church is at its best? As good as that all would be. No, that's not when the church is at its best. Is the church at its best when there are baptisms? People giving their lives to Jesus publicly, and we're celebrating that this morning. Is that when the church is at its best? As important and as powerful as baptisms are, I would say, no, I think that's maybe only part of the picture. So when is the church at its best? Keep that question in mind as we go. We're going to find out in Romans 12 as our guide. I know, I'm going to drag you along. You've got to stay with me. Romans 12, verse 1, let's start to figure it out says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul here, writing to the Christians uh, in Rome in the first century, the book of Romans is one of the clearest and most thorough explanations of the gospel that we have. And here at the start of chapter 12, we see the beginning of this new section of the book. And you see the key word there in verse 1, therefore. It's a transition word, right? Therefore, in light of everything that's been said... Therefore, here's how we are to respond. Here's what we are to do with that. For 11 chapters, Paul has been writing about the gospel. Here's all that God has done to save us and redeem us and forgive us. There's this uh, rich and dense theology for 11 chapters. And now here, he really turns a corner. We're going to see the rest of the book become super practical, driving home, real-life application for believers. And you see, he starts here with the call to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. It's interesting language, right? A living sacrifice. Now, our lives are pretty removed from the Old Testament uh, Jewish sacrificial system. So the language of sacrifice, again, might be a little foreign to us. We might be a little confused as to all that that would entail. But for the first century audience, many of them Jews familiar with the Old Testament, they would know what a sacrifice was. There was this elaborate system in the Old Testament, right, for the Jews to offer offerings to God. They would bring animals to God and sacrifice them on an altar to atone for their sins or to be an act of worship or devotion to God. But again, the thing about a sacrifice was that it would be killed, right, fully given over. So if it's an animal, if it's an animal offering placed on the altar, it would die, it would not be alive any longer. It was fully given over to God. No, no turning back. It was not like a partial, half-hearted act. Uh, it was fully given to the Lord. And so Paul is calling Christians to be living sacrifices. Again, seems like an oxymoron. A living sacrifice to offer your body, your life to God. Like an Old Testament sacrifice, for a Christian, our bodies, our lives are to be given fully to the Lord in wholehearted devotion. And yet, unlike an Old Testament sacrifice, we are going to remain alive, right? We're still alive. We don't die. We, we go on, and our life of devotion... Our sacrifice is a living one, one that we live and move and serve God with our whole lives. And so Romans 12, 1 is calling us to whole life devotion. And I want you to see how all-encompassing that language is. Whole life devotion. I think when we think of the word sacrifice today, sometimes we we reduce it to something small or petty. You know, if, if we use it in like budgeting terms. You know, if, it, if money's tight right now, we had to make some sacrifices, so instead of three mocha frappuccinos this week at Starbucks, I'm going to cut it down to two. Got, we got to make some sacrifices, right? Or maybe you heard it in the workplace, right? The company, we had to make some sacrifices, so we're going to trim the budget a little bit, and here's kind of what that looks like. It's an inconvenience, uh, but sometimes, again, we, we make it smaller than it really is, but uh, sacrifice, again, in biblical language, is, is something given, given over completely to the Lord right? Full devotion, our our entire lives then given to God, a living sacrifice. We've talked about this before, like uh, the image of a bike tire. I should have had a bike tire. I've done that before here. But you picture a bike wheel that I'm holding right here, and and you picture it, right? And you know there are spokes to the wheel. And sometimes we think about our faith or our devotion to Christ, our spiritual life, as one of the spokes of our life, right? We're well-rounded people, uh, we don't get too extreme about anything. So we have, you know, we have our hobbies as one spoke of the wheel. And we have our, our relationships or our marriage or our kids as other spokes of the wheel. And we have our, you know, our work or our uh, vacations or, you know, our whatever it might be. All just one spoke of the wheel, the various areas of our lives. And faith is simply one of those spokes, right? Let's not get carried away. You know, Jesus is one of those spokes. He can have a place on the wheel. But that's not a biblical way of thinking about following Jesus, Right? Jesus instead said, I don't want to simply be a spoke on your wheel. I want to be the center, the hub of the wheel, upon which all the other spokes rotate. Jesus is like, I don't want to be one of your silly spokes on your wheel. I need to be the hub, right? Whole life Devotion where your, your work and your, your career aspirations and your, your marriage and your, your children and your hobbies and your whatever it may be, all those folks rotate around your life with Christ. Your ro- life with Christ and devotion to Him is to influence everything else in your life. This is what it means to be a living sacrifice. Lord, everything belongs to you. And that is a a visual representation on display in baptism, right? That's what baptism is about, right? Death to life, going under the water. My old self, my, my life of sin, my life before you, Jesus, is now dead and gone, buried under the water of baptism, and now I'm coming up out of the water, raised to newness of life. Total devotion, death to life, Jesus. Now I have a new identity, a new name, a new story, a new heart given fully to you, Jesus. That's what baptism was about, this, this picture of whole life devotion to Jesus. And verse 1 concludes, you see, by saying, what does it say? That this, being a living sacrifice, is your true and proper worship. It's an interesting way to put it, Right? This is your true and proper worship. What do we think of usually when we hear the word worship? We think of the music, right? If I were to say, hey, how was the worship this morning? Oh, it was good, or I don't know, it could have been better, whatever. We think uh, the music, that's what we're talking about, the songs, which of course, you know, singing, praising God through song and music is part of worship, But that's a a pretty narrow definition of it. Because verse 1 tells us that what? Whole life devotion to God is your act of worship. Worship is a lifestyle, right? All of life is intended to be worship, where we spend time quietly in prayer with God in the morning as an act of worship. When I, I serve and love my spouse, even though I'm tired. That's an act of worship. When I work hard, I go to work and I try to provide for my family and bring home a paycheck to feed my kids. That can be an act of worship. Lord, I'm trying to steward well all that you have entrusted to me. When I, when I love my neighbors and bring them a meal when they're in crisis, when I study diligently at school and my college courses, when I share the gospel with a neighbor, when I, you know, visit someone in the hospital who is sick, when I give an encouraging word to a brother or sister who's hurting, when I pray for someone, that all can be acts of worship. Do you see? Lord, my whole life belongs to you. I'm a living sacrifice to you. And so everything that I do is to, to serve you, to praise you, to glorify you in all of my relationships and interactions. Now, that might sound pretty, uh, again, extreme to some of us. I mean, that's, that's pretty intense. Again, my dad would always say, everything in moderation. And in a lot of ways, that's a good life principle, but not when it comes to Jesus, right? Jesus said, no, not moderation. I want you all in 100%. This is a big commitment. And so if you're here this morning, though, you might, and you're not a Christian, you might be like, man, you people are weird. Like, this is just, this is too much. You know, again, I, I want to go for the whole, like, spoke on the wheel plan. You know, can I set up that plan? I don't need, like, the graduate level, you know, Christian plan. Um, because in our age, right, especially when we're about personal freedom, Right, Life's about you and you're you know, being happy and getting what you want. This sounds like, man, surrendering my, my life, my whole life and the direction of my life to, to this God, that sounds uh, like not a good plan at all. Or maybe even if you are a Christian, you're like, this, this is pretty extreme. Or why would I live this way? What exactly does this look like? I want you to see the key to, to all of this even making sense in the first place is found here also in verse one. Look again with me. It says, therefore, I urge you, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The key here is the phrase, in view of God's mercy. In the light of God's mercy and grace and all he has done for you, in response, then, you are to give yourself wholly to Him. We see at the end of chapter 11, if you look back, it's talking about the mercy of God in a number of ways, and then if really you think about the whole, again, first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, it's about the mercy of God, how God in His mercy has not given us what we deserve, that's what mercy is, when you don't get what you deserve, which we deserve judgment condemnation, separation from God because of our sin. But God, in his mercy, doesn't give us that. Instead, what, he gives us his love and his grace, and he forgives us, and he dies for us through the work of Christ. Romans makes clear, right, that uh, chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And chapter 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. What we get for our sin, what we deserve for our sin is death. It also says we were enemies of God. We were running the opposite direction. We wanted nothing to do with God. We deserved his judgment. But God didn't leave us there. He loved us. And he sent his son to die for us. And we can be reconciled to God, made right with him, if, not if we work for it and earn it, but if we, what, believe in his son Jesus and his work on the cross. Romans 3.24 says, we're justified we're declared righteous before God freely by His grace. It's a gift, right? You don't work for it. It's a gift through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 5.1 says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No longer strife, broken relationship, running in the opposite direction, enemies of God. No, we have peace with God through Jesus Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. is that good news? We can stand before the Father one day. We don't have to fear condemnation if we are in Christ. That's the gospel. And so the Romans unpacks the mercy and the grace of God. So whole life devotion, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, is in response to his mercy, in view of God's mercy. And haven't you seen this in movies and books? Uh, where there will be a story, the concept of a, like a life debt. Yeah, I think the Count of Monte Cristo had this, maybe some others, where, where someone like buys someone out of slavery or, or saves their life in some dramatic way and then the person who was saved goes to the person and they say, I am forever in your debt, right? My life now belongs to you and I'll follow you wherever you go. You know, that sort of thing. The same idea. In view of God's mercy, how he has saved us and rescued us, the only proper response is worship and a life devoted to Him. I want you to see how verse 2 fills this out a bit. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We can't go into verse 2 as fully, but it's there, and I want you to see it, that it's talking about how this new life Uh, devoted to God includes being transformed by the renewing of your mind. As followers of Jesus, we are to fill our minds with the truth and allow the Word of God, the truth of Scripture, uh, to change the way we think, to change what we believe is true about God, about ourselves, about the world. We have all kinds of assumptions about God, uh, or about ourselves, or about the world, and not all of those assumptions are true. Right? There's all kinds of messages that are being sent out in the world about God, uh, who God is, what God is like, who we are, what, what we're like, what our needs are, what uh, is true about the world, and not all of those messages are true. We have to be very thoughtful and discerning to realize that not everything we hear or read or see is true. And so we come to Scripture to, to filter the messages that we constantly hear. God's told us who He is and what He is like, and so let's be careful that we don't just let our assumptions define God. Rather, let's let God define God and tell us who He is. So we have to let the truth of Scripture renew our minds. That's where transformation begins, new ways of thinking. The theologian Thomas Schreiner summarizes these two verses this way. Just bring it all together. He says, Romans 12, 1 and 2 serve as the paradigm for the entire uh, exhortation section of Romans. So the next three whole chapters of Romans, he's saying. These two verses kind of summarize all of it. He says, if all of the exhortations contained there could be boiled down to their essence, they would be reduced to these words. Give yourselves wholly to God. Do not be shaped by the old world order, but let new thought patterns transform your life. And so this is really the basis for for serving in the church. This is the basis for using our gifts to build others up because my whole life belongs to God, Lord. So, okay, how do you want to use me? The experiences, uh, the relationships, the, the abilities you've given me, it's yours, Lord. How do you want to use it in this world for your glory? So, back to the question we started with. When is the church at its best? Have we arrived? Ah, you might be saying, the church is at its best when people worship God with whole life devotion. Is that it? I think that's part of it. But I don't think that's the answer. I think we can be even more specific. I heard some groans out there. I'm like, man, this this better be good when he reveals this answer. He's really, you know, he's got to land the plane. (laughs) Really better land the plane soon on this thing because... Stay with me. I think think there's more. It's not just about personal devotion to God. There's more. See how the text continues. Verse 3. He continues, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So Paul continues, and he's not just teaching us about our uh, personal life with Jesus, our individual life with God, but now how together as a church family we follow Jesus. So they don't want you to be puffed up and thinking you're more important than you are, Think of yourself with sober judgment and realize that you are a part of, one part of, a bigger picture, the body of Christ. And like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here in Romans 12, Paul uses the image of a body. It's very simple, right? Very very uh, clear and relatable. Just how our bodies, we have, we have one of them, and our one body has many members or parts of the body, and not every body part has the same body function, right? Verse 4, different functions. And verse 5, then, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. When you hear about the body of Christ, that's where this, this is where that language comes from. And so, we talked about whole life devotion, but now we're talking about whole church ministry. And first, whole life devotion, now we're, we're seeing whole church ministry, meaning the whole church is to be involved in ministry. All of us, using our gifts and contributions to serve the Lord. So verse 4 again, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. So whenever the image of of the body of Christ is used, it's, it's kind of driving home two main ideas. And it's unity and diversity, okay? So unity, there's one body. Again, don't think of yourself too highly. You have your part to play, but you depend on the rest of the body as well, Or right? You don't do everything. You're not omnicompetent. It's not all about you. If you're a hand, you still need the eyes and the ears and the arms. So don't think that your role, you know, no matter how, how visible or celebrated or up front or whatever is more important or necessary than the others. You need one another, We have a common mission as well, unity in our mission to glorify God and make disciples and and love our city and be about God's business in the world. So there's unity, but there's also diversity, right? Verse 4, it says, These members do not all have the same function. The members of the body are designed to do different things. Actually, 1 Corinthians 12 will say, If the whole body were an eye, how would we hear? Right, isn't that a great illustration? If the whole body were an eye, how would, how would you hear? You wouldn't be able to. Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell a delicious plate of Panda Express that's put in front of you, right? If the whole body were a nose, you could go on and on. We need the variety and diversity of the body of Christ in order to be healthy. I remember uh, reading about John Wooden, the legendary UCLA basketball coach. And back in the 60s and 70s, he had a just crazy run of success. UCLA won, uh, in a 12-year span, they won tw- uh, 10 national championships. Seven of those were in a row. Can you imagine that today? Insane. So just crazy success. And so they asked him, hey, what's your secret, Coach Wooden? You know, how have you been so successful? And he said, well, I boiled it down to three principles. The first principle is I want to get the players in the right condition. They need to be in shape. That's step one. Step two, I need to teach them the fundamentals of the game. They need to know the game they're playing. And three is the key. So I need to teach them to play together as a team. That's the key to success. And You all know if you watch sports, you see there's maybe one athlete on a team. If he has like this huge ego or makes it all about him, it doesn't work. Like he is playing together as a team, all the different members working together for a common goal. Think about it, where would a team be without diversity? I'm a big basketball fan, Sacramento Kings, suffering Sacramento Kings fan, and uh, so keep the image of a basketball team in your mind. What would a basketball team be without diversity? Would our team be very good if we all had the same skill set? Let's say all of the members of the team were uh, seven-footers like Shaquille O'Neal. Everybody knows Shaquille O'Neal, right? Massive, huge, kind of like, you know, clunky fellow out there. But he's good at some things. He can rebound. He can dunk the ball. So if we all were Shaquille O'Neal on a basketball team, we would be good at some things but we would be awful at other things. We wouldn't be able to dribble the ball very well. We definitely wouldn't be able to shoot free throws. Uh, we would not win very many games, as good as he is. Or think about if it was the opposite, if we were all you know, short point guards like Steph Curry. We could dribble the ball well, and we could shoot the three-pointer quite well, right? historically well, but we wouldn't be able to rebound against the other tall guys. We wouldn't be able to defend the basket. We'd be getting dunked on left and right, right? So a good team can't just have all you know, short little quick guys shooting the ball or all big guys dunking the ball and blocking shots. They need a combination of the gifts and skills in order to be successful, a complementary set of skills. That's exactly what the body of Christ is designed to be. Unity but diversity and so, look at verse 6 through 8. We see this idea of the different gifts that we have that contribute to the life of the church. It says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy, if, or in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. <clears throat> if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So, you see these, these key gifts mentioned here. And the list here is not intended to be exhaustive. It's not like these few words here are the only gifts in the church that you have to fit into one of those. But it is a good summary sketch, it gives us an idea of the different gifts. That are out there. Um, You could find more if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Or if you have the Love Your Church book. Hopefully you have your copy. Again, go back to chapter 5. It unpacks in some more depth uh, the variety of gifts there. Um, But you see, the idea is, simply, if you have a certain gift, you should use it. Right? If it's prophecy, prophesy. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's giving, give. If it's leading, lead. Whatever your gift is, use it for the good of the body. Now realize with that list, some of these gifts are quite visible, right? There's teaching, uh, leadership, so people who are on the stage, out in front, and actually chapter, the, chapter six of the book, which we're not talking about much today, even though it's kind of wrapped into this week, uh, chapter six of the book talks about those who have the gift of leadership and serve as, as pastors, uh, leaders in the church, how to kind of uh, relate with them, work with them. Uh, bear with them, that sort of thing. Um, So read it on your own and talk about it, hopefully, with with your groups, chapter 6 specifically. We're not going to dive into it as much here this morning. But we will say that not everyone is called to uh, lead in the church. Not everyone has the gift of teaching or the gift of leadership. And so not everyone's service is going to be up front and visible. Because look at the others on the list, serving, encouraging, giving, showing mercy— and some of you have a heart to serve. You have the gift of service. You, just, you want to show up. You want to help. You want to help set up. You want to, you want to clean up. You want to show up when there's a need. There's a heart to serve uh, here in the church or out in the community. Some of you are encouragers. You just love to build people up, to write notes of encouragement, to pray for people, to, to cheer them on, to celebrate what you see God doing in their life. Some of you uh, have real, just a, a soft spot to show mercy to people. Right, it talks about if it's uh, showing mercy, that is the idea of, man, there are people who are hurting or lonely or in need, kind of down and out, and you, more than other people, have this, this draw to them. You want to show love and mercy and care for people in that place. Not all of us have that gift. Um, I probably don't. And so um, we need people who who have that, that really tender heart, a heart to show mercy, to be patient with people who are in need. And the idea with these gifts is not that, again, you do yours and only yours. Like if you have the gift of giving, then be generous and give, but not everyone has to give. No, we all are called to to love and, and generosity and giving and serving. And so it's not like we have to only stay in our lane, but there is a way that we're primarily called to operate in the area of our gifting. And so here we can return to our question of the morning When is the church at its best? We already said it's not about budget. And the church isn't at its best when it's influential or the pastors are well-known in the community or has a good reputation. And the church isn't at its best when there's a full room or, or a passionate, passionate preacher or, or even having baptisms. No, my argument this morning is that the church is at its best when the people of the church do the ministry of the church. That's when the church is at its best. When the people of the church do the ministry of the church. When the people of God, when you, you all, are mobilized to serve and use your gifts to love others for the glory of God. Our church is not at its best when more people fill the room to watch me or Ian use our gifts. That's not when a church is at its best. But when you all step into your God-given calling and gifting, and you are mobilized Serving God in the community, that's when the church is at its best. I've said this before, the best things we do as a church are the things where the people of God are mobilized and doing the ministry of the church. Think about things like VBS, Bethlehem, uh, seeing our kids' ministry, seeing our our, uh, small group leaders serving. Dozens of people mobilized sensing, God, you are using me in a unique way to use my gifts, to build your kingdom, to serve others, to reach our community. I love uh, being here at VBS or, or being here during Bethlehem and just looking around and seeing how many people are involved, how many different roles are being played, how meaningful it is for us individually and for us to do something really meaningful in our community together. That's when the church is at its best. And there's so many of you that are already doing this. They're, not everyone sees this, but there's a large crew of people that are here uh, even helping serve on Sunday mornings. They get here at 7 or 7.30 to, to make coffee, to uh, prepare to lead us in worship through music, uh, to help set up, to help with the sound and the tech. I mean, uh, in order for us to have, a, again, a meaningful worship gathering, there's a lot of people and parts to play. I'm so grateful for those who are willing to serve. Like, again, it's not all just within our building. But that's a demonstration of the body of Christ at work. So don't get me wrong, I I like getting nice comments about my sermon. I like that. I like it. But I love hearing stories about how you all are using your gifts in community, serving one another, reaching out to others, using your gifts. I love that. Reminds me of a pastor once who was asked what his favorite part of ministry was. And the person expected the answer to be leading someone to Jesus. Like, What could be better than, than in ministry, leading someone else to know Jesus, helping them you know, pray the prayer and be, and be baptized and have this new life in Jesus, seeing someone saved and their eternity changed? What could possibly be better than that? And if you're going to say there's something better than that, you're clearly a heretic, and we don't trust you. Right? That has to be the answer. And he said, no. What's even better than that? is seeing someone else in your church share the gospel and love their neighbor and seeing a person come to Jesus. Seeing someone else in your church that you taught or encouraged or led, seeing them go and love their neighbors and share the gospel. So that's even better. It's not about me. It's about the church being mobilized, being the hands and feet of Jesus in the community. That's way better. See, the church is at its best when the people of the church do the ministry of the church. And not only is this how God wants his people, his church, us together to flourish, but I would argue this is how each of us are individually designed to flourish, to see that your role, your contribution, your gifts, how God has wired you and put you together, and how God wants to use you is key in you living a flourishing life in Christ. Right? We weren't designed to sit on the sidelines. We were all designed to get in the game. I was reading this week about nursing homes. Maybe you guys already know this. But in nursing homes, specifically we talked about how elderly individuals in nursing homes with pets fare much, much better. And the article talked about how it can be difficult for someone who's older uh, to go from like living a full life of autonomy to now you know, being in a nursing home and, and needing help and maybe having less responsibility. Um, they said having a pet to care for, a puppy or a cat or maybe a grown dog because puppies could be challenging, whatever. Having a pet makes them uh, radically different. It's a dramatic shift in their well-being mentally, socially, emotionally because in part uh, it gives them a sense of responsibility. Right? It boosts their self-esteem, gives them purpose. Right? I, am, I am responsible for something else. I need to get up out of bed in the morning to take care of them. They're counting on me. God wired us to thrive when we have meaningful work to do. Right, go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. You'll see we were designed to be co-laborers with God out in the world, cultivating his world. We weren't designed to be irresponsible or have nothing expected of us. And so it's hard for us to thrive without that. And so I thought, hey, maybe that's a new strategy here at the church. Like, welcome to church. Here's a puppy. (laughs) That's a good good strategy. Welcome to church. Uh, Here's a puppy. Maybe we start asking each other, hey, where's your puppy? Right? What are you responsible for? What good work uh, has been entrusted to you here? We all need a puppy. Maybe specifically we do that with the kids' ministry. Send kids home with puppies Okay, um, so because we want to live a life of consequence, right? We want to live a life of, of impact and meaning. And you've, just seen, you've probably seen the studies coming out about how, how young people specifically uh, will, will flounder when they have no vision for, for meaning or purpose in the world, right? They have no sense of, of, of calling or responsibility or what they could be about in their lives when no one believes in them, when no one's given them anything meaningful to do. There's just this like, prolonged adolescence where... Um, they actually studies about this, how young men especially are just like, instead of getting careers and going to work, they're just playing video games longer and longer. And I love video games. There's nothing wrong with them. But, and how sometimes they're happy for a time, but then the studies go on to show as they uh, age, uh, later and later in life, there's more regret and, and, and lack of uh, relationships that have been fostered and all kinds of challenges that come with that. So the point is we need meaningful work to do. And actually even research, we could hone in more specifically to the church and faith specifically, Uh, research from the Barna Group in the past few years has shown that, you know, when young people leave the church, there's a slew of reasons that they would mention because of that. One of them is often mentioned that they say the church isn't relevant to my life, or the church hasn't helped me have a sense of purpose in my life. Meaning I I come here and I don't, there's nothing given to me to do. No meaningful work Uh, for me to contribute to and be a part of. I just come and, yeah, hear a sermon, whatever, but then it's not relevant to the rest of my life. So we need to help people see God has gifted you, Romans 12 tells us, uh, with unique contributions you were intended to make to the kingdom, both in the church and outside in the world. And if you don't step into that, you will not be able to thrive and flourish the way God has intended you to. And the church will not thrive and flourish as God has intended it to. So what if this is the key, again, not only to our church flourishing and you flourishing, but, but even reaching the next generation? Hey, hey you young people, you have, you have a part to play. We need you to contribute. That's why I love what Ian's been doing with our youth ministry and how we've seen more and more young people serving on Sunday mornings. You've probably seen them around, back at the sound table, back at the booth, working slides, working the cameras, um, serving in different capacities. Uh, how beautiful is that, right? To see young people say, hey, you have uh, good work to do here. We want you to be part of this. And again, that's not just in our walls, but that's a, that's a picture of that. The church is at its best when the people of the church do the ministry of the church. And so in, in closing, just a few ideas for application, uh, what we can kind of take away and action step for us this morning. The first would be to remember God's mercy. Right, go back to Romans 12.1. That's where this all starts, in view of God's mercy. So offer your body as a living sacrifice. So if you're here this morning and you miss the gospel, and all you hear is like, get to work, you have a job to do, try harder and God's going to love you, You've, we've missed it. All right, you have to start with the gospel. Remember the mercy of God. He loves you. Jesus died for you. You are justified through faith in Christ and no work of your own so you can rest in the, in, the, in the presence of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves you. Remember his mercy and his kindness and his favor is upon you already. Then, step two, consider how God has shaped you. You can look at Romans 12, the list of gifts, and see which of those words and those actions Uh, do I relate with the most? Do I sense maybe I operate in those ways? You could ask someone who knows you. Ask a spouse. Ask a friend. Hey, what gifts do you think I have? How do you see God using me? And they'll, I'm sure, be able to tell you examples and stories. You can also look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and read some of those gifts. Um, One of the ways you find out how God has shaped you is you try things so you might want to sign up for kids' ministry, and then you might be like, I hate kids' ministry, and I don't want to be there. I'll serve elsewhere, right? Or vice versa. You might serve in the tech ministry, and you're like, I hate technology. What am I doing? I need to be somewhere else. Sometimes we find out as we go. Um, another way to find out how God has shaped you is um, there's uh, spiritual gift surveys. One of them, um, I should have put it on the screen, but it's freeshapetest.com. We've used it before here in the past, but it's free ShapeTest. Just all one word, no spaces, freeshapetest.com. And there's a free, like, little uh, form evaluation thing you can fill out, and it'll tell you, hey, uh, here's, based on your responses, which, again, it's not always perfect, but gives you an idea of the things maybe you like to do, the ways God might want to use you. Uh, Check that out. And then the the last step would be look for opportunities to serve. Uh, There's opportunities to serve here. Uh, We have uh, needs here. We need you to contribute to the life of this church. You can mention maybe that on your connection card that you're interested in serving. And we'd love to follow up with you with some ideas there. Um, But also, you don't have to wait for an official church role, you know, to use your gifts or to volunteer. Uh, Look to the needs around you. Look in your community group and see. God, because often you'll identify needs and concerns that maybe other people will miss. And that's a clue. Like you're seeing something. God might be inviting you to step into that and serve others. Right, look for opportunities to serve. Again, welcome to church. Here's a puppy. Again, where's your puppy? Start asking one another, where's your puppy? Where's your puppy? What are you responsible for around here? Because we all ought to be serving because the church is at its best when the people of the church are doing the ministry of the church. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you that, one, you have saved us. We celebrate the gospel this morning, your mercy, your grace, your kindness, that we can walk in freedom in Christ, no longer fearing condemnation or judgment or separation from you, no longer worried about bearing the burden to try and earn our love or earn your favor. You have given it to us freely as a gift of grace through the work of Christ. Thank you. And God, thank you that you've given us meaningful work to do. You've gifted us each uniquely and individually to serve you, to love others in your name, to teach or to encourage or to give or to extend mercy, to love well. Lord, help us step into our gifting that our church might flourish and that we individually might flourish and that you might be glorified. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.